Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to Psalm 13. Psalm 13 is where we will be this morning. And as you're turning there, I just want to say what a, what a blessing and a privilege it is to be here at Canyon Bible Church of Prescott. Some of you know a little bit about us, a little bit about me. We were here on staff a few years ago. It was a part-time um, ministry that we had, um, but it, it was just such an amazing experience, and it became clear to me, it became clear to our elders that this is what God was calling me to do. This is what I had to do. Uh, so we left. We left to finish my preparation, finish my seminary degree, and we had no anticipation, no thought that we would ever be able to be back here, uh, let alone serving as an elder, pastoring full-time. But in God's providence, He has brought us back, and words cannot express our thankfulness to God for allowing us to be back here to minister to you. It is such a, a blessing. <clears throat> We've been blessed by your love and generosity as we have been settling into not only ministry, but into our home. And like I said, we, you have just lavished all of your love on us, and we are so thankful. So I thank God that I'm here to minister to you, and I thank God for you all. And we look forward eagerly to years and years of faithful ministry here. So Psalm 13, follow along with me as I read. To the choir master, Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say, I prevailed over him lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. I've entitled this message, When Hope Despairs. In our training and in our preparation for ministry, God has brought us to many churches, many healthy churches, and we've been able to be members of many of these healthy churches, and we have grown as we have seen healthy churches interact with each other, the love that they have for each other, the humility, the service. We've just grown so much. We've also grown as we've seen faithful pastors, godly men shepherd the flock of God among them, and I strongly believe, I know for a fact that God has used that in, in my life, my family's life, as we have been preparing for ministry. We've seen many similarities among healthy churches, all of them. We've seen, without exception, that God's people suffer. We from sinful choices from their own sinful choices. Believers suffer the consequences of sinful choices of others. We've seen uh, couples struggle and be heartbroken with, with not being able to conceive. We've seen families lose mothers. We've seen families lose fathers. We've seen chronic pain. We've seen difficulties at work, difficulties in marriage, in family relations. The list goes on and on. As we minister to these creatures, it seems like there's been a repeated theme in many of these situations. 
It hasn't always been explicitly stated, but if you listened carefully, it was though you could hear, you could discern this gnawing sense that God wasn't helping these people, that God wasn't there, that in their moment of need, when they were suffering, when they were in a trial, it seemed as though they were trying to articulate the fact that God had abandoned them. Now, how in the world do you navigate this sense of abandonment? What do you do in that moment when you're in the midst of a trial, when you are struggling, whether it's physical pain, financial uh, difficulties, relational strife, whether it's depression or anxiety? What do you do when, when it feels as though the waves of these, of these trials are crashing on you over and over and over again, and you call out to God, and your calls are met by a deafening silence. We're going to look at Psalm 13 for an answer to that question. Now, we don't know the setting for the psalm. We don't know the trials that David is facing when he pens Psalm 13. But we know from the psalm that it is, it is a, a, a very, very difficult trial. It is significant. And in response to these trials, David writes a psalm that's categorized as an individual lament psalm. Now, there are many definitions of what a lament is. I've been helped by one author. His name is Mark Vorgop. Here's how he defines an individual lament. He says, it is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. This is lament, a prayer in pain that leads to trust. And this is what we see in Psalm 13. We see some sort of trial. We see David responding to God in the midst of this trial. He doesn't wait till things get better. He doesn't wait till he's kind of cleaned up. He comes to God in the midst of this trial and ultimately renews his trust. This is, these are the steps uh, to a lament, and this is what we see in Psalm 13. So as we walk through the psalm this morning, we're going to try to answer this simple question. What do you do when you feel abandoned by God? And as we do, we're going to see three responses. Three responses to when you feel abandoned by God. And here's the first. Bring your complaint to God. Bring your complaint to God. Now, before we get into this text, before we get into these first two verses, I understand that when I say you should complain to God, there is apprehension. And rightfully so. There should be flags going up around this room saying, you know, I know a little bit about my Bible, and it seems like every time I read it and someone complains to God, it never works out well for that person. It seems like his, his people in the Old Testament were destroyed whenever they complained against God, and, and you want me to complain? Well, I hear you. I understand that. And I will admit, there is a sinful sort of complaining that I am not advocating for and that David doesn't model for us. Here's what I don't mean. Here is sinful anger. Sinful anger is the venting of self-centered rage at God when life doesn't go as we thought it would or we aren't getting what we thought we deserved from God. <clears throat> In other words, sinful complaining is anger with God or him impugning his character with me as the arbiter. When I set myself up as a standard and I say, okay, listen, this is how things should be, I decide. And when things don't line up with what I think that they should, well, then I'm going to be mad at God and I'm going to complain to God and I'm going to say, God, who do you think you are? That is sinful anger. That is not what I'm talking about this morning. 
Well, what is a biblical complaint? What is an appropriate complaint? It's addressing anything that is out of step with what we know to be true about God or anything that is out of step with the promises in His Word. A biblical complaint is is centered on who God is and what He has said He will do. So as we navigate the idea of complaint in lament, we need to allow these two poles to be our guardrails. We need to know God's character. And we need to know what God has promised in His Word. And anything out of step with those, we can rightfully bring to God in a complaint. That's what we ought to do, and that's what we see David doing here. He brings four complaints, all in verses 1 and 2. And if you'll notice as we get into this, each complaint begins with this repeated phrase, until when, translated, how long, how long. And these repeated phrases serve to intensify what David is saying. If you'll remember Isaiah in chapter 6, when he sees God, he describes God as holy. And he repeats himself three times, and and it serves to intensify the holiness of God. Well, the same is true here with David. He's saying, how long? How long? How long? And it serves to intensify what he is communicating, the angst in his soul. So his first complaint that he brings before God in verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? David is saying, God, how long will you go on forgetting about me, acting as though I don't exist? This first complaint is centered really on God. It's a charge of neglect. God is being neglectful. He's forgetting about His covenant people. He's forgetting about His anointed servant. God, why are you forgetting about me? But that's not what David says. He says, how long? It seems as though God has forgotten about David, and David is voicing his concerns. How long is this going to last? But he brings a second complaint against God. How long will you hide your face from me? See, the second charge increases the accusation against God. God showing His face to His people was always a sign of blessing. Listen to Numbers chapter 6 before uh, they, uh, well, God is speaking to Moses and Moses um, is telling Aaron, you need to bless the people and this is how you will bless them. Listen in verse 22 of chapter 6. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. This is the blessing that Aaron is supposed to give to the people of Israel. And David knows that when God shines His face on you, it is a blessing. But if that's true, when God hides His face from you, it is equal to a curse Listen to Deuteronomy 32 when when the children of Israel are going to go into the promised land and Moses is speaking to the people and he speaks prophetically about their future disobedience. And listen to what he says. The Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be for they are a perverse generation children in whom is no faithfulness. So David moves here from a God who is neglectful to an active charge of abandonment against God. Not only has God forgotten about him, but he's actively abandoned him. Not when things are going well, but in the face of trials, God has abandoned David. 
And David has another complaint that he brings before God in verse 2. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? David is asking God, how long will you make me suffer alone? Again, this, this continues to highlight the fact that David feels abandoned by God. He says, how long must I take counsel in my soul? He's turning inwardly to himself. He, he can't go to God and, and make sense of what's going on. He can't ask God what's going on. So he turns inwardly and he tries to make sense of what he's feeling, but he can't. And it increases his sorrows. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you try to understand what in the world is going on. And when you turn inwardly on yourself, all it does is, is just make things worse. And this is what David is saying. It is increasing his sorrow. He's saying, I have sorrow in my heart all the day. This is showing that David's, he, uh, David's struggle is primarily emotional in that what he feels is in his heart. This Hebrew word is, is the depths of his soul. He feels grief and torment and pain in the depths of his being. How long will you make me suffer alone? But David brings another complaint against God. How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? How long, David says, will my enemies be victorious? How long will God allow David to be defeated by people who not only oppose God, but oppose his servant, his, his anointed servant? His enemies are currently triumph, triumphing over David, and it is pre presenting a very real physical danger. But deeper than the danger that David feels is his crisis of faith. God is the righteous judge, isn't he? Isn't God supposed to punish the, the wicked and, and bless the righteous? A few psalms before, the, the psalms open up with Psalm 1 that says uh, that, that the righteous will be established by God like a, like a tree planted by the rivers of water and everything he's, that he does will be prosperous. It'll be established by God. But the wicked... They're not, they're not like that tree. They're like chaff that is blown away by the wind. But what is David experiencing right now? He's experiencing the exact opposite. It compounds David's frustration. It, com uh, it compounds David's, David's turmoil inside and makes things worse. This confusion is compounded by the felt abandonment by God, which in turn intensifies David's pain. Now, it's important to note in the psalm that there is absolutely no mention of sin. There's no mention of anything that David should repent of or can repent of in order to make sense of God's abandonment. His main complaint is centered on God. And the external trials only serve as a catalyst for the pain that he feels. He can't make sense of why this is happening. As far as David is concerned, I'm assuming he would think this shouldn't happen. And these repeated pleas form a resounding question that David places squarely at the feet of God. How long, Lord, will you abandon me? Now, while we aren't likely to have enemies chasing us or people trying to take our lives from us, we will face situations that are out of step with what we know to be true about God and what He has promised in His Word. We may feel as though God is indifferent. 
you may be going through a trial, you may have gone through the trial in the past, you may eventually go through a trial, and you may feel as though God has abandoned you in your pain. And in that moment, you need to lift your complaints to God. As we look at David's complaints, I think we, we, we see a couple of things, we observe a couple of things that we need to take to heart as we consider our complaints first. We can honestly bring our feelings to God. We can be honest and speak to God with how we feel. We don't need to, we don't need to refine ourselves. We don't need to wa- whitewash our, our vocabulary in order to become acceptable to, co- to God. My acceptability has already been won by Christ, and so I can go to the throne of grace with boldness, regardless. I can be honest with how I feel, and I can bring that to God. Thomas Brooks is a Puritan. This is what he speaks about. He's talking here in context of lament and complaint, and this is what he says. Certainly the very soul of prayer lies in the pouring out of a man's soul before the Lord, though it be but sighs, groans, and tears. One sigh and one groan from a broken heart is better pleasing to God than all human eloquence. See, God beckons us to come to Him honestly with what we are experiencing and what we feel. We can be honest about that. But we see something else from David's complaint here. We can utilize the gift of complaint in a biblical sense in order to begin the process of reaffirming our trust in God. We know that this is where this psalm will ultimately end up, with a renewed trust in God. But there's only one way we get there. We get there by being honest with how we feel and bringing our complaints before God. This is the path of processing our pain and our grief. This is what uh, one author says about lament and complaint. He says, lament is how you live between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. Lament and complaint is how we bring our sorrow to God. Without lament, we won't know how to process our pain. Silence, bitterness, and even anger can dominate our spiritual lives instead. Have you found that to be true? But as we consider David's complaint, there's one more thing that we see, and I think it's very, very important here to be said, and I need you to listen to me as clearly as I can tell you. A deep sense of grief and despair is not out of step with a mature faith. If you have these feelings of grief and despair, don't think there's something wrong with you. If David, the man after God's own heart, if he expressed these feelings to God, then surely you can too. Psalm 13, this is, this is a gift of God. It's inspired words. They are sanctioned by the Holy Spirit so we can make them our own. Oftentimes we think we can't do this though. We think that we shouldn't have these emotions. We think that if I have pain or if I have grief or if I have despair, I should stuff them down deep, deep, deep somewhere they'll never come up again and then I'm going to present myself as being put together on the outside and really godly or, or holy so that everything will be fine because that's the goal, isn't it, right? To, to, to always rejoice, to be a good Christian and to always have a smile on your face. So that's what I'm going to do. But in speaking about this, uh, one author, uh, Alistair Groves, in his book, Untangling Emotions, this is what he says about this false view of emotions. 
Christians often see negative emotions, that is, the ones we would describe as feeling bad, as signs of spiritual failure. Furthermore, every dark feeling also carries with it a sense of failure, guilt, and shame about having that dark feeling. As a result, negative emotions are to be squashed and repented of immediately rather than explored and should be expressed only when carefully monitored and controlled. But you see, this psalm cuts at the heart of that faulty view of our emotions, at the faulty view of pain and grief. God beckons us to come to Him regardless of what He feels. Grief and despair are not always emotions that are out of step with a mature faith. This is where lament begins, but it is not where it ends. David doesn't stay here, and neither can we. When we feel this way, that we're abandoned by God, we must bring our honest complaints before God, but David provides a second response, and that is ask God to act. Ask God to act. We see that in verses 3 and 4. And in these verses, we see that David makes three petitions in the form of imperatives. He he has three here. The first is in verse 1. He says, consider me. Consider me. He says, look to me, give me your attention. David is asking God's abandonment to end. And notice how he references God here. He says, consider me, O Lord my God. David is reminding God of the covenant that he has made with his people, and that's how he references him here. He's saying, God, you have made a covenant with me. I'm calling you to remember that covenant, to end the abandonment, to consider me, to look at me. He also says the second request, answer me, O Lord my God. Again, this is a plea for God God to, to stop the abandonment, to stop being silent. Lord, give me your face and give me your voice. Lord, answer me in my trial. And then David asks in verse 3, light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. David here is asking for physical help. This, this phrase, light up my eyes, is a very familiar, a similar phrase in 1 Samuel where Jonathan, we, we just walked through 1 Samuel, uh, but Jonathan, he's weary from battle, he sees honey, he takes that honey, he eats, and his eyes are lighted. And that's what David is asking for. There are very real physiological effects of the trials that he's going through. And David is asking God for help. Physically help me. Because if you don't, my enemies will say, I prevailed over him. My foes will rejoice. They will, they, they will love the fact that they have not, not only defeated you, but defeated your servant. Now, maybe you've gone through what we're reading about here in these verses. Now, let me ask you. When you're in the midst of a trial, and when the pain is compounded by a sense of abandonment by God, what do your prayers look like? What do you ask God to do in that situation? Maybe a more applicable question is, do you ask God to act on your behalf when you feel abandoned by Him? You see, our temptation will be to doubt God's goodness when He not only allows you to go through a trial, but feels distant. Our temptation will be to uh, doubt God's faithfulness and doubt God's goodness, but listen to me. 
in those times, remember, your situation, your circumstances are the poorest indicator of God's faithfulness. God works all things for our good and His glory, but often not in the way that we think they should or we hope they would. When you feel this temptation to doubt God's goodness or to turn inwardly to try to make sense of what's going on, rehearse the truths of God's Word to your soul. Preach these truths to yourself over and over and over again. Remind yourself that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.35. Remind yourself that He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Romans 8.32. Remind yourself that though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Listen, for this light, momentary, Affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Rehearse these truths to yourself over and over and over again. Allow these truths to bolster your faith until your faith takes the form of a prayer and you ask God to act. You beg Him to act on your behalf because He is good he cares for you, and He loves you. This brings us to the last response when we feel abandoned by God. This is the culmination of the psalm. This is a culmination of biblical lament. When we're honest and we bring our complaints before God, and we ask Him to act on our behalf, we end by renewing our trust in God, renewing our trust in God, and that's in verses 5 through 6. And we renew our trust in God by three related and overlapping ways that we find in verses 5 and 6. First, in verse 5, reaffirm your trust in God's goodness. David says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. Here in the original languages, David changes the word order for emphasis. He's been talking about how deep in despair he is, how he feels abandoned by God, but here he changes things up and he says, listen, that's all true, but, but now even I, I will, I will trust in your steadfast love. And David uses specific language here again to indicate this is a past action. This is something that David has already done. I have trusted in your steadfast love. But notice that word, steadfast love. This is what David has trusted in. The word here is a very, very important word in our Bible. It's the word hased. It's very important, but it's also very difficult. It's very difficult to translate because it combines the idea of love, of generosity, and commitment. This word describes an act of promise-keeping loyalty that is motivated by deep personal care. This love is love that is undeserved, unmerited, and is absolutely not dependent on your worthiness to receive it. This is love bestowed on an undeserving people based on nothing more than God's character, than His goodness and His grace and his commitment to love us. 
David looks back and reminds himself of God's unfailing love that he has received in the past. And listen, if you're a Christian here this morning, every Christian has a record of God's unfailing love, of God's steadfast love. Every one of you have a record of that this morning. If you feel abandoned by God, look back at all the ways that you have been a recipient of God's unfailing love. Remember that we were people who deserved nothing more than God's wrath. We were condemned, rightly deserving to be punished for all eternity. Yet, in our condemnation, He lavishes His grace on us by sending His perfect Son, by sending the spotless Lamb to die on the cross for us, making atonement once and for all for all our sins by taking our place so that He receives our punishment and we receive His righteousness. He provides reconciliation between a holy God and a once rebellious people. This is the gospel. But listen, this isn't something we need to think about in terms of strict, strict orthodoxy alone. This isn't an answer on the test that we need to get right. This is the ultimate expression of God's unfailing love. So if you feel abandoned by God, look at the cross. Soak your soul in the goodness of the gospel. We renew, we renew our trust by reaffirming our trust in God's goodness, but secondly, we rejoice in God's salvation. Look at what David says. He says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. David uses language here to indicate that this is not necessarily where his heart is right now. He isn't saying that somehow his heart is, has been fixed and that his heart is currently rejoicing. That's not what David says here. He uses language to indicate that this is a resolve. David has committed. He has determined in himself to rejoice in God's salvation. This is a resolve to rejoice that God will one day bring about deliverance from this trial. This is not an expression of, of, of confident joy that he knows how God will do it or even when God will do it. But this is a resolve to rejoice because he knows that God will save him, that God will rescue him. And you may not know how your trials will end. You may not know how God will, will rescue, but you can be sure that God always, always rescues his people. And even if those trials are intensified by a feeling of abandonment, you can have joy in knowing that God providentially works all things for our good and His glory. And again, I think the clearest example of this is a cross. Imagine if you and I were one of the disciples there on the night that our Lord was betrayed, drugged off in chains, hauled into court, tried unjustly, and condemned to death. And as we were standing there, we saw our Savior on the cross suffocating and dying. I can't imagine how any of us would think, oh, going according to plan, everything's going to be great. It's going to be fine. No, our worlds would be crashing down around us. We would think, what is going on? But three days later, we would know that it was all part of God's plan, that God was in control, that He worked everything for our good and His glory. And if God can do that with the crucifixion of our Lord, surely He can do that with our trials. He can glorify Himself in that way. So we reaffirm our trust in God's goodness, 
We rejoice, we resolve to rejoice in God's salvation, and finally, we hope in future vindication, and we see that in verse 6. David says, I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. This is the culmination of the psalm. This is the culmination of lament. Here we see David with a hopeful expectation of singing praise and worship to God when God inevitably acts. This is knowledge that deliverance was sure, that the anticipation that David knew was coming, the future joy was directed at God, and he resolved to praise and worship God. Now listen, the situation didn't change for David. It seemed like his enemies were still triumphant, And I'm sure that David didn't feel like hope was restored. I think David still felt despair at the end of this psalm. And the situation for you, if you're in a trial, it might not change for you as well. It's possible that this life will be full of lonely despair and grief for you or for someone you know. But listen, God will vindicate us, whether in this life or in the life to come when we see Him face to face. Listen, the injustices that you face will be made right when we see Him. The pain and the grief that you feel from loss, from physical disability, from other people's sin, all of those pain, that pain and all of those tears will be wiped away when we see Him face to face. And if we remain faithful, we will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. This is why we can hope in the midst of trial, because we know that vindication is sure, like David does. Resolve to hope in God. This isn't something that you say a prayer and then I'm resolved and then everything's fine. This is something that we need to cling to. We need to resolve to do it over and over and over and over again. Because this is how we do it. This is how we renew our trust in God, by walking through this process of lament. So how does this look practically? How do we offer a prayer of lament in the midst of a trial that we're going through? How do we process the pain that we feel and work through and ultimately end up in a place where we are rejoicing to God. Well, I think we model what David does here. We turn to God in prayer. We offer our complaints to God, biblical complaints. We ask God to act, and we renew our trust in God. That's how we do it. So, what does this look like? Well, first we turn to God. God, I know you're good but this is hard. I turn to you with a heart that's struggling. Then we offer a biblical complaint. God, I'm completely overwhelmed in this moment. I don't feel like I can make it another day. The pain I feel in my body, the the stress that I feel from my doubts, my anxiety, my worry, they are too much. Why do you make me go through this, God? Why do you make me feel as though I'm going through it alone? Why do you make me feel like the rock that's been beaten by the waves over and over? God, how long will you allow this to happen in my life? But we don't stop there. We ask God to act. We boldly ask God to act. God, help me now. Help me stand strong in the face of this pain, this trial. 
Conquer the lies of the enemy that plagued my mind. Give me the ability to trust you. God, save me from my trial. And then resolve to renew your trust in God. But God, and that's key, but God, I know you're good. I know you're protecting me and helping me through the gospel of Christ. I know that you've never failed me. You've blessed me with mercies that are new every morning. You've given me every reason to trust you, God. I'm going to walk by faith today in your ability to help me. This is the good gift of lament. Now, we began our message this morning by asking how we can navigate these feelings of abandonment in the midst of a trial. And I think this psalm provides a beautifully simple answer. When you are in a trial, when trouble comes, and in that trouble, God feels distant, and your cries for help are met with silence, this psalm gives one dominant message for you and for me. When you feel like that, embrace the good gift of lament. Utilize the language of a lament by turning to God in the midst of trial, by offering a biblical complaint, asking God to act, and renewing your trust in Him. When hope despairs, and listen, it will. Remember that despair will give way to hope. It will happen. I want to end this morning by reading a stanza from a lament that was put into a worship song for churches. It's beautifully written, and I think it beautifully captures uh, the point that Psalm 13 is trying to make. It's called, Lord, from sorrows deep I call. And this is what some of the verses say. Lord, from sorrows deep I call. When my hope is shaken, torn and ruined from the fall, Hear my desperation, for so long I've pled and prayed, God, come to my rescue. Even so, the thorn remains. Still, my heart will praise you. Should my life be torn from me, every worldly pleasure, when all I possess is grief, God, be then my treasure. Be my vision in the night, be my hope and refuge till my faith is turned to sight. Lord, my heart will praise you. May this be the plea of our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we... We come to you as a needy people. We come to you as people living in a broken world, a world broken by sin. Father, we are touched by all of the infirmities. The fall affects every aspect of our being. Lord, we are people who suffer. We endure trial. We are like sheep for the slaughter. Father, it is painful. But Lord, I am so thankful that you, you don't expect us to, to just limp through this life hoping that things will be better. Father, you give us the good gift of lament. You give us a, an inspired language to voice our pain and our suffering. You give us a, a way that we can process our grief and our guilt. 
Father, I know, I know this church, and I know there are those suffering. Father, would you be real? Would you comfort those people? Would you comfort those who will be going through a trial inevitably? And Father, in that time, I pray that you would impress the need to lament. Father, may we be a lamenting people, a people that turn to you in the midst of our pain and our struggling, a people who are honest and open to you, a people who, who ask you to act, and a people who renew our trust in you on a daily basis. Father, we can't do this apart from you. We need you even to trust you. We need you, and we ask you to work. We ask you to help us in this in Christ's name. Amen.